Today's Bible reading is from Mark chapter 11, verse 27 to 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Thanks, Bonnie. Well, let's pray and, uh, and we'll have a, a good look at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that it is God-breathed. Thank you that it is, uh, it is, it is great for uh, our, all that we are, that we need it. It's the bread of life, that without it we can uh, not know you uh, in, in ways which uh, you have revealed yourself. So, Father, as we open this word now, we ask that you convict us of truth, Keep us faithful to the text and help us to know uh, the authority that comes uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, <coughs> um, that very reputable uh, TV show, A Current Affair, uh, reported on a woman named Alicia who was a homeowner. And she decided to rent out some of her rooms. Uh, some of you may have done that to get some uh, further income because her house was bigger than she needed. Uh, and a single mum approached her, uh, she had a daughter, and said, I need a room for a short-term basis, or a couple of rooms. And so Alicia uh, rented it on the agreement that it was for just three weeks. Well, Alicia had to go away uh, for a while, not long after this uh, mother moved in. Uh, but when she returned, uh, this uh, young single mother started claiming the home was hers. She changed the locks. And she'd allowed some strangers, uh, they looked like good characters up there, uh, to move in. Alicia had to live out of her car until she could prove that she was the right owner. Because apparently that's not as easy as you think when you turn up to the police and go, that house is mine. Uh, so when confronted by a current affair, the squatters effectively claimed that they had the authority over the house and they threatened to call the police on a current affair. It was a clash of people claiming authority. You see, one was true, one was false. The squatters no longer recognised the one who had the true authority over the house, and it was difficult for Alicia to actually do anything about it because proving her authority was more difficult than she expected. Well, eventually, because there was cameras uh, in their faces, and their faces end up on TV, they disappeared. So this morning, in our passage, we encounter a clash between two parties who claim authority. It's a clash between the leaders of Israel uh, and, the, and, and Jesus, who has come, uh, and, and who, who returned to make a claim as the king and the rightful ruler. 
And the passage begins, if you open it up there, and I'll have it behind me, uh, in, in verses 27 and 28, uh, with these two authorities colliding. And it says this, They arrived in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked? And who gave you, uh, who gave you authority to do this? Now, if you remember back to last week, uh, well, if you remember back a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Uh, that was his triumphant entry on a donkey of all things. Uh, with palm branches by those who recognized him for his true uh, status as king. Uh, they visited the temple very briefly that evening, but because it was late, they headed out to Be Bethany uh, and then they came back the next morning. But we were told that before they went out, Jesus looked around at everything in the temple. And then last week, we saw that when they came back the next morning, Jesus cast judgment on the temple and all that was happening overturned the money changes, overturned the sacrificial, uh, the, the, the people selling sacrifices and animals uh, in, a, in a judgment. And it was all played out in that judgment upon the fig tree, fig tree uh, toing and froing. And if you remember, Jesus was back on his way to Jerusalem when he uh, had that conversation about the withered fig tree. Well, Flowing on from that, we're told now that they have arrived uh, back in Jerusalem. And while he was walking in the temple courts, he is confronted. See, he's confronted by those who claimed authority over the temple. Now, if you have a look, it tells us the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Now, these are three power brokers in Israel. And in Israel, these guys didn't work together very often. They all claimed their own authorities and they didn't work together very well at all. There would have been conflict. There would have been uh, demarcation disputes. There would have been uh, just jostling for who had the most power among the people uh, because they, uh, it was a very political game. And they were not pleased that Jesus had come challenging the status quo and overturning the money changes and the rest of it that was going on. And so they confront him. And they ask him, where did you get this authority? Now the reason they ask him that is because they were the authority. And they're thinking, well, who gave him permission? Because if we haven't given him permission, there is no higher authority than we are. We are the greatest in authority. Nothing happens without our approval. So what authority is Jesus doing these things by? And who said he could come in here teaching new doctrines and overturning the systems of the temple? So it's kind of like a CEO who's gone on extended leave and the board of directors have given, uh, given one of the senior management an acting CEO role. Now, the CEO's gone for quite a while, and after six months, the CEO finds his feet, he exerts his authority. Uh, the true CEO uh, on, that was on leave has been written out of the organisational chart, and a few years later, he comes back, but his pass uh, doesn't work anymore because his access has been taken off, uh, and nobody actually recognises him anymore. A couple of years has gone past. 
They refuse to recognize him. And in the foyer of the building, though, he hangs out and he starts reintroducing himself uh, to the workers again. And they realize who he is. And so he starts giving them instructions about the vision and what's going to happen and how they should uh, exercise their roles. But this starts causing an issue when they go back in the workplace because the acting CEO starts to have his authority uh, threatened. And so he goes down to the foyer one day and confronts this uh, CEO and says, well, you don't have the authority. I've got the authority now. There's no greater authority than me, and I'm not going to reinstall you. So that's it. See, these leaders had come asking these questions about Jesus' authority because they were threatened. They were meant to be the caretakers until the true king arrived back from his furlough, if you like. The true Messiah had arrived. Yet they couldn't see that because the power that they had over, uh, over Israel and over the people was what they valued above all things. And this collision of authority has been building right through Mark. This isn't something new. Uh, if you think right back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was in chapter 1 in Capernaum. He turns up on the Sabbath at the synagogue and he starts teaching. And in the back, a man starts, or an evil spirit starts saying, you know, what do you want with us, son of man? You know, starts really uh, calling out Jesus. And Jesus exercises that, uh, that, that spirit out of the man. And we're told in chapter 1, verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You see, the people on the ground swell were already realizing that there was something more authoritative about Jesus' ministry. And then a few verses later, it says the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. But then just in the next chapter, if you remember these mates, they climb up on the roof with their paralytic friend. They dig through the roof. They lower him before Jesus. And as he comes down, they're all in expectation waiting for a great miracle of healing. But Jesus doesn't heal the man initially. He deals with his greatest, uh, his greatest need and that's the forgiveness of his sin. He does go on to heal the man, but when he, sa- when he does heal the man, he says this. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. See, Jesus' miracles were there to point us to the authority he had in his preaching, his teaching, and to exercise that authority. But curiously, earlier in that encounter, the teachers of the law who were here in the, in the temple in this instance were already put out, saying to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So it seems they already have the answer to the question about where Jesus gets this authority. It's just that they're blind. They cannot accept it. And then when Matthew gives his account of this healing, in chapter 9, verse 8, afterwards he says, when the crowd saw this, 
they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. See, the clues are all there. There should be no question about where this authority come to, has come from. I think the teachers of the law have already uh, said that that's the only place it can come from, from God himself, but they will not accept it. And at stake throughout Jesus' ministry was the power and authority the teachers of the law, the elders and the chief priests had over the people. This is what's at stake here. Whether they retain their power and their status and all that they are. And now as the king comes to the temple, the collision of these two authorities is amplified. And as it mounts, Jesus hits these leaders with a question of his own to answer their question. And in doing so, he reveals both the origins of, of these authorities... But also, he exposes the motives of these religious leaders. If you have a look uh, at verses 29 uh, and 30 there. Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Now the significance of Jesus' question is it reveals the power and authority, can be that power or authority can be exercised in two ways. See, in a way that has its origin from God, or we can exercise it in a way that has its origin out of ourselves or humanity, human thinking. Now, we have to be careful because Romans 13.1 tells us, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God is in control. He is sovereign. He has everyone in place as is working out his will. The problem is, is that those people who are in those authorities, are they functioning and exercising that authority in accordance with God's will, God's design and God's way? Or are they exercising according to their own heart, their own desires and their own ways, in human ways? Is the origin from God or is it from man or humanity? So this question about John the Baptist is significant because the claim was that John was the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecy that Elijah would return and pave the way for the Lord, the Messiah, to come. You see, Jesus' authority was all tied up in John the Baptist's ministry. If John the Baptist was of God and sent by God, then what he claimed about Jesus must be true. He claimed that he was preparing the way for the Lord, that the one who comes after me, I am not worthy to stoop down and tie the sandals off. And so if, John the Baptist is of God and his ministry was of God, then Jesus is the promised saviour of the world. And even more significant, we're in the process here in our text this morning of the Passover coming. They were preparing for the Passover. And during the Passover meal, 
one of the things that happens is that they get a younger, one of the young sons to go out of the house and look for Elijah with the hope that Elijah would come. And if John the Baptist is the fulfilment of that, then they should recognise that finally the voice of the one calling in the wilderness is preparing the way of the Lord. So Jesus is, in his question, effectively saying, well, where do you stand on John the Baptist? Because wherever you stand on John the Baptist is where you actually stand on me, he's saying. So he's actually asking them a question within a question. And I'm not sure they realise that. This is why Mark begins his gospel with the account of John the Baptist. Now look at this response that they give uh, to, the, to the question. Verses 31 and 32. They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. Now, I think most of us here have watched uh, politicians at some point being questioned and squirming and, and being uncomfortable and avoiding the answer and answering questions that weren't asked, pretending there weren't children thrown overboard, whatever it is, or there were children thrown overboard when they weren't thrown overboard. We've been through years and years of this. Just turn it on, watch a politician get, uh, get interviewed and, and you'll see it. Because when it comes to politicians, almost all of them, I'm not going to say all of them, they have one goal, and that is retaining their power come election day. You wait. I shouldn't say it live stream, but I have someone related to me who is in a very high position in the government, and this is the worst time for him, simply because he's got politicians constantly at him about what should be said and what should be and how things should be done and, 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 and whatever. All because they are trying to retain the favour of the people in order to get elected. That's all they care about at the end of the day, this next few months going into the state election. See, what Jesus is doing, he's exposing the leaders of Israel, not as spiritual leaders, but as politicians. See, he asks them, a very simple question. What do you consider as theologians, as teachers of the law, as the high, chief priests, as the elders overseeing this whole nation? They would have heard about John the Baptist. They would have known about him. Uh, this isn't something new to them. What do you think about him? They would have had a position. But look at what they do. They get in this little huddle. So they have to go into their little cabinet room and talk about, oh, okay, he's asked us a question. And look at, look at what they're saying. They're not asking what is true. Who do you think John the Baptist was? They're saying what's going to be best for our political future. They're saying if we affirm John's ministry, well, then we have to affirm the claims that he made about this man. Well, we can't do that because that undermines all our all our authority. But if we say he's of human origin, 
Well, that's politically disastrous because the people who keep us in power, well, they're the ones who believe John was a prophet and of God. And look what they come back with in verse 33. We don't know. I'll come back to Lee. We don't know. I'll show you back, Lee. So basically, Lee... I've got her up there because I think she's a great example of asking questions. Now, I know some of you are Liberal supporters or Labor supporters and you think she's hard on one way or the other, that she's soft on the other ones and all that kind of thing. But in the end, I love what I used to love watching Lee. She's not in that role anymore. Particularly when she asks a question, takes a politician to a space, and then she asks another question and they realise they've been trapped. Isn't that wonderful to watch them squirm and then they start answering questions about the weather that she never asked or whatever it is. See, I think she asks the most piercing questions at times to try to get to the truth. And I just think Jesus has asked one of the most piercing questions he ever asked. And now they're caught in a trap. And they say, we don't know. Now that itself is a blatant lie. And that should take us to a place that realises that these people, they have not the things of God in mind. They're not interested in the spiritual welfare of the people. This is a power game. This is a political game. This is an agenda. And so it's political, it's corrupt. They have no regard for the ways of God or the truth. And by answering this way, they have in fact recognised Jesus' authority, even though they would deny that. They have, they have said, we don't know, simply because they do know. And so Jesus has effectively had them ask the question without them asking the question, answering the question, which is phenomenal. Now all of us in some way here have a, have a, have, a, have a position of authority. It might be in your workplace, it might be in the home, it might be in the church, it could be anywhere. You have finances which you have to make decisions about. We all have a position of authority. The question is this morning that when Jesus walks into your home and takes control of your life, Are you submitting to that authority as you exercise the authority that he's given you in your life? Because all authority has been given by God. Every part of your life is God-ordained. doesn't matter what the authority is that you hold, you have it because God has called you into it. The question is, are you going to exercise it according to God's will with the origins being of God, or are you going to exercise it according to the human will, your own desires, your own wants? Are you building God's kingdom? Are you building your kingdom? And that's effectively what's on show here. This isn't just for the elders of the church. This isn't just for the pastors of the church. And yes, there's a huge application for us. And we should tremble, thinking that we we need to be are submitting to God's will, regardless what our will is. But this isn't just for the leadership of the church. 
we have all been redeemed. We've all been called as the priesthood of all believers. You all now hold a great position within God's kingdom. You are his children, heirs to the kingdom of God. You are the priesthood of all believers. You have an authority. How do you go about taking that authority into the world? How do you go about making your decisions? Last week we saw the fruit of faith is prayer. That is the first fruit. And that those who have fruit have a future. Well, is your first fruit as you exercise your kingdom authority prayer? In your finances, in your, in your, in your uh, parenting, in, in your workplaces? I've seen churches destroyed because meetings are a discussion around managing the political agendas of the church rather than what God's will is. I've seen it over and over and over again. People are more worried about what you think than what God thinks. How do we get people to give more money? How do we manage the fallout between these people and these people? Now, we have to be wise and shrewd, and I understand all that. But that's not how we function as a church. We are not doing it in terms of the world. We are doing it in terms of God. And the reason this is so confronting is because the one with authority who can only speak truth and who exercises truth and who does that through grace and love and servanthood is the one who has declared that we are to live and to uh, exercise our authority with each other and with the world in the same way. And that's a big calling. But it also releases you from all the political agendas. So I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus' parting words in Matthew 28, just before he was taken up, if you remember what he said. What did he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, what was at the beginning of that? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You see, everything is contingent on whether Jesus has the authority that he claimed. And the answer is he has. And we know he has because on the third day he was raised again to life, vindicated. And he is alive and he is running our church, he is ruling our church, and we are to submit to his authority. He is ruling your life, you are to submit to his authority. So let me encourage you this morning. Are you being prayerfully, are you prayerfully considering what God's will and what his uh, desire is for your life? That's how we should be ruling the church, ruling our lives, exercising authority in all the places that we are. And Jesus simply says to them at the end, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. But he's already said it. They just don't realize it because they don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. The people who did have the ears to hear and the eyes to see, well, they were putting palm branches in his triumphant entry. 
they're gathered around him in the temple courts. They're the ones who had their eyes opened. We are the ones who should have our eyes opened. So let me encourage you to live in a way which honours God and reflects that the authority you have comes from him and you are to do his will in his name, in his space, in his, on her, his earth for the time that he has given you. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at Jesus confronting the authorities of the world, exercising uh, political means and political gains and desires, and Father, we know that we get caught up in the agendas. We get caught up in trying to manage fallout or relationships in ways which keep people uh, happy with us or, or just kind of manage uh, our own desires and our own kingdoms. Father God, help us to be open and transparent and honest and to exercise our lives in the way that Jesus exercised his life. Father God, I pray for each of us as we consider where uh, you have placed us in authority, be it in our workplace, be it in our school, be it in our homes, be it with finances, be it while we drive a car uh, with that authority. Whatever it is, Lord, in the smallest of things to the greatest of responsibilities, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to recognize that we submit to a greater authority in all things, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we seek to do his will for his glory and for the sake of your holy name. And we pray it in his name. Amen.